Amen. You may be seated. Well, I would say good morning, church. Come on, it's a good morning, isn't it? (laughs) You know, there's only 17 more days before Christmas. Oh, okay. Um, He's going to throw me off. So we um, we have a birthday, and it's December 10th. It's 81 years old, and it's Gary Thornton. God bless you, brother. Take it down a little bit. No, not Gary, that Gary, Gary Thornton. Yeah, but, but we celebrate you too, Gary. And, and then also, uh, just a Christmas offering for $50. Uh, just doesn't say who or what, but a Christmas offering. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Very good. Well, once again, I just say, good morning, church. <laughs> 17 more days. Have you figured it all out yet? Are you ready? Hey, what do you want for Christmas this year? Oh, they see that's good. That work in like Christmas or Miss America pageant, whatever. I just want peace on earth, goodwill toward men. No, that that's a good thing to want, though. We want peace. Have you made your list yet? <laughs> have you have you checked it twice? Yeah, yeah, you have. Maybe. No, you're still stuck on the turkey enzyme, aren't you? You're just feeling that. No. Isn't it interesting that when we were very young, <clears throat> when we were growing up, they could, somebody could come to us and they say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And I mean, it was right on the tip of our tongue. We knew exactly what we wanted. We could make you a list of maybe four things. If you were my youngest daughter, Randall, and you had six pages in the, in the catalogs that you were circling things, and her brother and sister say, you can't have that many things but she could find a thousand things that she'd want. But, but as a young person, when we were very little, we, we could think of a thousand things that we'd kind of want for Christmas. Didn't, couldn't you? Do you remember that? Do you remember the Sears catalog? <laughs> just get past all the furniture and all that. Just the toys. Find the toys. We always, somebody goes, the Sears what? It was the, um, the something book. The, the wish book. Thank you. The wish book. Yeah, we looked at that. Now we get them in the mail. Or you get them. They're always email now. They email you, email you. Here's what you're going to want, and you don't want any of it. You just want to delete the email or block them, but they find a way to get back in there. But when we were little, we knew exactly what it is that we wanted, and then as we got older, eh, <laughs> we want, we, I mean, maybe there's something, maybe there's not. We invest in the kids and the family, and, and, and it becomes more about the, the main things of Christmas. And I was uh, thinking about it last night as I like to watch. I don't know. I like to, when the family's putting all the decorations, I like to just, I sit there and just watch and enjoy. And I, some of you, you like to do it also, or some of you, your families might say, get up here and help us do this. But I was just watching Lynn, and she was putting all of our ornaments up on the tree. And, and we have ornaments. It, it's really interesting. I, I started, I got up and I walked around our tree, and I began to look at all the different Ours, for some reason, I don't know, we didn't have a diabolical plan when we were younger, but we just started dating them all. We'd put the date on each. We always got uh, an ornament every Christmas for something. And then for the years that we were in Topeka, every time we had a Christmas musical, we would buy ornaments for the entire choir and mark the date on them and give them to, us, to them as a gift. So I've got at least maybe close to 20 uh, ornaments that have a date on it from, from when we had a musical with our choir. And I remember over on the right side down uh, towards the bottom, there's one particular one, and it just says, 
It, it has a really corny, I remember when we bought it, it was at Bannister Mall. Can you imagine I remember back that far? Bannister Mall, they had a kiosk out in the center of the mall, and they were wrapping, they were taking bulbs, and whatever you wanted the plastic wrap to be on it, they'd shoot it with a hairdryer, and it would shrink wrap, and, and it, it has a, a little couple by their fireplace in their tree, and it says, our first Christmas together. Aww. Lynn and I's first Christmas together. And we have that one down there. And it, it gets wrapped extra carefully each year as we put it away. But, you know, the, the essentials of Christmas, just the, the main things. The, you know, as we get older, uh, it's not so much about what we'll get. It's about taking in all that this time of the year means to each one of us. There's a certain father that declared that Christmas is going to be different this year. It's going to be different at, our, different at our house. And the father called a family conference, and, a, and he challenged his family. Have you ever been a father that does that? Hey, we're having a meeting. Family has to get in the family room. We're having a meeting. Did you do that? We didn't. We just yelled down the hall, hey. <laughs> but he called the family conference together. He challenged his family. We're going to do it different this year. They wanted to manage their time during the Christmas season better than they ever had. They simply had to curtail the excessive spending on gifts. Amen. <laughs> he talked about that. Kids don't usually amen there. No, no, do that after Christmas. Uh, curtail the spending limits on gifts. He talked about better relations between visiting relatives and, and more congenial atmosphere around their home. And he brought his speech to a crescendo with his final cry. He said, let's make this the best Christmas ever. And his little second grade son countered the big motivational speech by noting, but dad, I don't see how we could ever improve on the first Christmas. So I'd say, hey, Tinez, what do you want for Christmas this year? What's on your list? What are your Christmas essentials for December 25th, only 17 days from this very day? This is our second Sunday of Advent. Can you even imagine it? Two more Sundays, and we're there. A number of years ago, a young couple traveled to the offices of an adoption society in England and, and they were going to adopt a baby that day and they had been on a waiting list for a long time and they had been interviewed carefully and scrutinized in every way that you can and now at last their dreams were to be fulfilled but their day of happiness was another one's pain. Arriving at the offices of the society they were led up a flight of stairs to a waiting room and after a few minutes they heard someone else's climbing up the stairs and it was the young student mother whose baby was to be adopted and she was met by the lady that was responsible for the adoption arrangements and she was taken into another room and the young couple heard a muffled conversation with a few minutes later they heard footsteps on the stairs going down as the mother left the building. They heard her convulsive sobbing until the front door of the office was closed. And then there was silence. The lady in charge moved them to the next uh, room across the hall. And in that little crib was a six-week-old baby boy. On a chair beside uh, him was a brown paper bag containing a change of clothes and two letters. One of these addressed to the new parents, thanked them for providing a home for their baby, and acknowledged that under the terms of the adoption, each would never know the, each other's identity. And then the young mother added one request. Would you allow... Would they allow her little son to read 
the other letter on his 18th birthday. And she assured them that she had not included any information about her identity. So the couple entrusted that letter to a lawyer. And one day, there'll be one day the young man will read the message which his mother wrote on that day. With a breaking heart, she parted with him. You thought you'd find out what he wrote, what she wrote. We don't know what she wrote, but one day he'll read that letter. And I wonder what she wrote, though. Don't you have a curiosity about that? If we had to condense all that we feel about life and love into a few precious words, what would we say? I know what we wouldn't talk about. I know what we wouldn't say. We wouldn't have any time for trivia. We wouldn't be concerned about economics and politics and the weather, the the size of our house or the type of car that we drive. Those wouldn't be the things that we'd add into that little letter, just a short little note. Uh, Just the essentials. At such a time, we would want to dwell on only what's important, the very most important, on what life is all about and what things were absolutely essential. That's what we'd put in the note. The wilderness, as we will see this morning, might seem like a pretty weird or a strange place to be this morning as we consider the coming weeks that are ahead of us leading right up to Christmas. In general, for us, Christmas brings to mind images of nativity and hanging lights and Christmas decorations with with last year's and all the year's ornaments, all the little children ornaments. That's the other thing I saw. Remember all the little elbow macaroni spray-painted in gold and with your child's name on the back from second grade? That's kind of what it sometimes seems to be about. They remind us of our Christmas past It's a time of shopping, of playing our favorite movies, and even listening to our favorite Christmas songs, especially if they don't start before October 1st, or then. You see, wilderness just seems like an odd place for new beginnings. And yet, this is what we see in our text this morning. You see, the wilderness, in the wilderness, there's something new is happening. Something brand new is getting about to take place. Out in that wilderness. wilderness. It's not new. We've seen it throughout history. Moses was called out into the wilderness and the, the people of God were delivered from the chasing horses and chariots while in the wilderness. And even Jesus endured great temptation out there in the wilderness. Our wilderness, our wildernesses, maybe our wilderness, <laughs> however you want to plural it, All of us at times have endured our own wilderness experience. Often we've been taken there through a lot of different circumstances, not maybe even of our own doing, but we've all been through those wilderness experiences, though perhaps very different from those who came out to see John the Baptist. All of us either have or will walk through some kind of wilderness as we seek the promised one. In our culture, most would rather avoid such places 
when we think about what the wilderness, what that desert brings. We don't want to go there uh, unless you're going there on a camping trip or out with the motorcycles, but not on purpose, not, not just to go out and hang out there. We, we kind of stay away, and as we move from the idea of what those actual wildernesses are like and what we go through in our personal, our spiritual uh, moments with the Lord, uh, we, would, we would tend to move away. We're, we're more inclined towards abundance, not barren, uh, not dry desert types of wilderness. We like the abundant life that he brings. In our church history, we will find many who intentionally went out of their way, traveling to places of wilderness for the purposes and the intent of deepening their faith. People actually do that. They withhold things from themselves. They, they don't do certain things that they like to do or are used to doing. They go to places that aren't the normal place to, to go. Uh, on our Kansas City district, once a year, the pastors would go out to a, to a, a Catholic retreat area and just pray for a few days. While seemingly these places of emptiness, emptiness with they, they don't have any of our favorite amenities or our modern way of living per se, but it's in these places of wilderness where we can find God's hand birthing new life within us. And for the intents and purposes of our text today, engaging us in the essentials of Christmas. What's really important? There's a lot of things that we make important, but what's really the essentials of Christmas in about two weeks? Here in today's text, we are back in the wilderness. We're not at temple. We're not in the synagogue. We're, we're, we're not on city sidewalks or busy sidewalks dressed in holiday style, no. And in the air, we don't find the, the, the feeling of Christmas, no, in our text this morning. We find, at the, we find the people at the edge of a river out in the wilderness. There's a man dressed in camel hair. His own hair is frazzled. He's crying out. He's saying something. What is it he's saying? He's saying something new is about to happen. He's shouting, someone is coming. Something new is happening. He's shouting, you need to be ready for this new thing that God is doing. There's a few essentials that you'll need for this new thing. In reading from our text this morning, I direct your attention to Matthew 3, 1 through 12. Matthew 3, 1 through 12, and also Luke 3, 10 through 14. Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning, if you will. Reading from Matthew 3, 1 through 12, he says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah, the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself he had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all of Judea and the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the, disciples, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore every, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
As for me, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand, and he will thoroughly clear his flesh, threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then in Luke 3, 10 through 14, it says this, and the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? And he would answer them and say to them, the man who has two tunics to, is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And some soldiers were also questioning him, saying, What about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse someone falsely and be content with your wages. This the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful. Lord, I pray that just for a moment with all of the, the noise and the lights and the glitter of, of what makes up this time of the year for us, Lord, I pray that you would take us to just the essentials, just the things that are most important. Lord, we'll enjoy all those things, but Lord, might we truly make our way to the essentials of Christmas this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, John, he's out in the desert. He was, it was a great tradition of the Hebrew prophets. He was aware of the time, that the time was running out. He knew that was happening. It was his burning message that he had no time for peripheral matters. He couldn't add or uh, anything to it. He was not playing trivial pursuit, nor was he prepared to just mince his words and make it a nice little time for those that were coming out to hear his words. It, it, it wouldn't be that long that the sword of Herod's guard would, would, would flash and his tongue would be silent in the grave forever. Superficial people came out from Jerusalem and they wanted to see him also and they were intrigued by his strange phenomenon of a wild man out in the wilderness preaching repentance. That seemed strange to them and they wanted to see what that was and they were fascinated by the frivolous things such as his dress, his diet and his, his booming voice, his words that came from him. They wanted to interview him and, and, and then tell all of their friends about the remarkable experience, I would imagine. Who are you, they asked. His answer was, Kurt, I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? No. Then who are you, they persisted. They had their doubts but, about who he was, but his message to their ears was clear. It was a clear message and it said, Repent. You know, there comes a time when preachers long for their hearers, no matter what pulpit they stand from. They long for their hearers to lose sight of everything except their message, except the, the main point of their message. They, they often may be thinking, don't listen to my accent. I had a friend that uh, way back when Lynn and I first were married, and, and he was from Tennessee, and oh, would he preach with that accent. Uh, you just wanted to hear it. Keep talking, man. Keep talking. But there's a time when, when, when preachers don't listen to my accent. Don't look at the clothes that I wear. Don't comment on my style. Don't, list, don't read anything extra into what I'm sharing. Just listen to what I'm saying. Just like John was saying. He was saying, repent. It was the main thing. Repent for this new thing that God is doing. The question is, what should we do. What should I do? When he says repent, hey, I've, I've done that. What, what should I do? That's always the question, isn't it? It's always the question, what should we do? 
How should we get ready? What should we do in the wilderness that prepares us for the new thing that is coming? And the people, they were willing to go out into the wilderness to hear this crazy preacher. There, there, was, a, there was an expectation, a seeking and a looking for. They wanted to hear what he had to say, what was to come. And for us this morning in our wilderness, in our barren land, we see or we face the essentials of Christmas. What are the, the main, what is the main thing of this great holiday season, this great Christmas season that we enjoy we are expecting, we're looking, we're waiting, and we're watching. What should we do? And from our text, we can learn at least three things that may help us with our Christmas essentials. Do you know why we always find three things? Because five things are too many. Four things are too many. So we usually find three things. There's more, but at least three things. Number one, in our, in our wilderness, we should repent. In our wilderness, according to the word this morning, we should repent. You see, John's message, it called people to repentance. We, we do that in, in, as we share from God's word so often. We call people to repentance. One of the towering marks of the age in which we live is the absence of guilt. I don't know if you see it. Do you see that? The absence of guilt? Not many would deny that fact. We watch TV as the police chase a UPS truck, and there are individuals in there that are willing to shoot it out and to see innocent victims lose their lives because they wanted to get away. That was just yesterday morning. There's an absence of guilt in our world. Not many would deny it. Many are blessed or many are pleased that, that guilt has kind of taken the back seat. It, it's gone to the, the, the end of the line. It, it's been dethroned, if you will. Others see it as a bad sign. I think we'd probably see it as a bad sign. The absence of guilt in today's society makes it very difficult to even talk about repentance to the point where many churches, uh, they just won't. They, it's just not a popular, I don't want to talk about, about sin, repentance, or offering. We don't want to talk about those things. They're not popular, and, and people will leave. Well, well, we got to hear the word whether we leave or stay. We must hear God's word. And we live in a day when, when this sense of, uh, of guilt has been marginalized. And if there is no sense of guilt, then the need for repentance is greatly marginalized or ignored altogether with. We live in a day when much time is being spent by the leaders in our society and even within God's church, among others, making it okay what some 30 or so years ago was absolutely wrong. How did we get here? Sin is no longer sin for so many. And while all things may be permissible, we must not forget that not all things are beneficial. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 goes on to say this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. You see, where there, there were those in Paul's day, some Corinthians that were using their Christian freedom to justify their sinful practices. I wonder if that's possible for the day that we live in. I'm saved. I can do that. I'm saved. I can go, I can do that and 
go to heaven, we always take it out to the very edge, don't we? I can do that and still go to heaven. I, I don't want to get that close to the edge. I think I'll, I don't want to do the things that say I can do that and still maybe even make it to heaven. We make it an either or. And in Paul's day, they were doing the things that they were doing. Christian freedom was used to justify their sinful practices. And for many in the day that we live, the word repentance is a word that belongs to yesterday. Oh, that's an old-fashioned term. It's equated with sackcloth and ashes and mourner's benches or altar calls with 18 verses of just as I am. Some even see repentance as something that we do only when we get caught. But repentance is far more than simply blurting out, I'm sorry, if we get caught cheating on the IRS or our spouses. And repentance is not merely turning over a new leaf. It's not, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to work at this. I, I, I'm going to really, I'm really going to do it. Starting this January, I'm really going to do it this time. I'll have to admit to you today that one of my favorite times of the week is Sunday afternoon. Isn't that a great time of the week? <laughs> Most of your, your pastors here would go, yeah, that's a really great time of the week. You know, the, the pressure of the day is off, or even the week. The, the pressure, it's all faded. It's kind of like starting over. It's kind of like putting a, we used to say putting a clean page in the, remember typewriters? You remember a typewriter? You remember working with those? Not everybody does. But we used to put a clean sheet or, or, or opening a new Word document. That, you know, it's all formatted properly and it's all white and ready to go again. Getting ready for that next message. That's the, 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 the release Sunday afternoon after everything's kind of built up to this and you get past that and now it's time to move with a clean sheet onto the next. It's a great feeling. But you see, repentance is far more than just starting over again. Repentance is also far more than simply reciting a prayer of confession. The Romans sometimes compelled a captive to be joined face to face with a dead body Ooh. and to bear it about until the horrible rotting flesh destroyed the life of the living victim. One writer described this cruel punishment this way. He said, the living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench in loath braces tied, the lingering wretches pined away and died. You see, without Christ, we are shackled to a dead corpse of our sinfulness. Only repentance frees us from certain death, for life and death cannot coexist indefinitely. It just can't happen. You can probably find places all throughout our land that will tell you you don't have to worry about such things. But God help us if we don't proclaim that repentance, a turning away from the things that are against God, are an essential for our Christmas. All too often we get used to the stench and decay of our own sinfulness. Yet John the Baptist calls upon us to take our sinning seriously. And why does he do that? Because God does. You see, repentance is not just changing our minds or feeling sorry for something that we've done or even 
making bold resolves that we'll never participate in a certain behavior again. Instead, repentance means to turn around, to turn away from that behavior, that activity, to turn away and go in another direction. What John the Baptist wanted his audience to hear was this, turn your life toward this one called the Messiah. Turn to him. This is not negative. Rather, it breaks the chains of oppression and death that hold us back. Sometimes we wonder, why does this always happen to me? Why is this? It always seems that I end up back here again. Don't just be sorry. Repent and turn away and see the chains of oppression broke, broken away from your life. A pastor of a church had one of his parishioners tell him, after a sermon one morning during Advent, he said the, the problem with John the Baptist is, is that he takes all the fun out of Christmas. All the fun out of Christmas. But you see, he couldn't be further from the truth. I would boldly proclaim to you this morning that, that it is this strange, eccentric, that we call John the Baptist who puts the joy into Christmas. For he is the one who calls us Not to Christmas the way it is, but to Christmas the way it is meant to be. In our first Christmas essential, John tells his listeners and us that in our wilderness, we should repent. And number two, in our wilderness, we should share. We should share. In our wilderness, we should share. First, John admonished his listeners to repent. Second, he told them to share. In Luke 3.10, we read where a crowd approached John, and they asked him, what, what shall we do then? In other, words, in other words, what is expected of us? To this, John responded, he who has two coats. Man, i got to open up my, my closet. <laughs> One, yeah. You know, we're not just talking about coats. But when I open my closet, coat-wise, I'm a blessed person. I'm very blessed, not about coats. He who has two coats, let him share with who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Sharing is a basic essential to our faith. That anyone who somehow has not grasped this principle will miss a major thrust of the Advent season if we miss this point. This is why we give to so many organizations and individuals. This is why we give to the Salvation Army as they prepare the gifts for the children and the families from the angel tree. This is why we ring the Salvation Army bell outside of Albertsons. And if you haven't done that yet, they have an online place that you can go and click and you can schedule a time where you can ring that also. It's in your bulletin, I believe. Just go there and sign up or ask Chris. He'll tell you where it's at. This is why the Church of the Nazarene, so much of our income goes to missional works all around the world. This is why we receive an offering to help a young man who's rolled his car and we give him whatever it is that we can give him. I personally wouldn't want to be a part of a church or a denomination that doesn't give its means away for others. It's part of the essential of who we are. It's part of the essential of who John is proclaiming we ought to be. It's absolutely central to our call as followers of Jesus. It's something that we don't have to read a book about or take a test on. That's not what's important here. It's a natural outflow of those who have repented and whose hearts have been changed by the transforming good news of Jesus Christ. There's a favorite Christmas story called The Gift of the Magi. It's a short story written by William Sidney Porter, 
or his pen name, O. Henry, in 1905. It's a story about a desperately poor young couple. They were living in New York around the turn of the century. Neither of them, uh, neither of the couple had money significant enough to buy a gift for each other, so they each secretly went out and sold something that was very valuable to them. She sold her beautiful long hair. They spent a lot of time with the story really talking about how beautiful and long her hair was and how much she loved her hair, and she knew that he loved her long hair. But she, was, she found a shop that, that did, I think, wigs, and, and, and so she sold her hair so that she would have enough to buy for him this beautiful gold chain that would, would be nice enough to put on his pocket watch, his prize, uh, his prize possession, a, a beautiful pocket watch that he pulled out on occasion and really enjoyed. Remember when life was simple? When I was about fifth grade, my dad got me a pocket watch. I love that thing, man. Put it in, pull it out, put it in, pull it out, you know? And so, so she sold her hair. And she bought him a chain for his, his pocket watch. Only to find out that he had sold his prized pocket watch to get her combs for her long hair. The thrust of the story, it's really kind of obvious if you think about it. It is not what you give that is important but the sharing spirit of love in which it is given. One of the messages of Advent is that we are called to be a sharing people. Not just in December of each year, but to live a life of sharing. It doesn't mean big, demonstrative. It doesn't mean put a second on your house. It's, it's looking for the opportunities that God places before us where we can give to others. In the latter part of the 17th century, German preacher August Hermann Franke founded an orphanage to care for the homeless children of his day. One day when Frankie was in the need of funds to carry out his work, a destitute Christian widow came to his door begging for a gold coin. Because of his financial situation, he, he politely but regretfully told her that he couldn't help her that day. Disheartened, the woman began to weep. And moved by her tears, Frankie asked her to wait while he went into his room to pray. And after seeking God's guidance, he felt that the Holy Spirit wanted him to change his mind. So trusting the Lord to meet his own needs, he gave her the money. Two mornings later, he received a letter of thanks from that widow. She explained that because of his generosity, she had prayed and asked the Lord to shower the orphanage with gifts. It was the same day, and Frankie received 12 gold coins from a wealthy lady and two more from a friend in Sweden. And at that, Frankie thought he had been amply rewarded for helping the widow. But he, soon, he was soon informed that the orphanage was to receive 500 gold pieces from the estate of Prince Wurttemberg. When he heard this, Frankie wept in gratitude. In sacrificially providing for that needy widow, he had, in, he had been enriched and not impoverished. 
And we need to be clear about such a story. What enriched his life was not that he received all the abundance or the gold pieces. It was that he shared with someone that was less fortunate, that was down on her luck, as they say. The abundance of gold which flowed only confirms the deep meaning of the act of the sharing. Oh, that we could truly learn and understand the greatest of internal rewards in helping others as we stand before them with a basket full of turkey and everything that you need to make it as they weep because this is such a big deal to them, as they weep because they didn't have enough for that week. Oh, that we would see that it's more than what we get back, but it's in the sharing with others, in living a life that is so blessed that it must bless others out of its own abundance. That's where we come from. What should we do then? The crowd asked and John answered. The man with two tunics must share. He should share with those who has none. And the one who has food should do the same with others. It's out of our abundance. Share with them who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Repent and share good and changed heart actions from those who are in the wilderness. So in our wilderness, we should repent. And in our wilderness, we should share. And number three, in our wilderness, we should serve. We should serve. In Luke 3, 12 through 14, we learn that tax collectors, the very despised of that day, they came to John to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more taxes than is appointed to you to do. And soldiers also came and they said, what should we do? And they said, rob no more. Stop robbing and do not make false accusations. In other words, and don't miss this part, whatever your role is, whatever your lot in life is, wherever you find yourself, whatever work it is that you do, wherever you find it, whatever your task in life is, do it ethically to the best of your ability. If you're a tax collector, then be an honest tax collector. If you're a soldier, be a good soldier and don't be cruel. Don't be a corrupt one. In whatever role that you're in, do what you can where you are. You see, Christian service is not just being a missionary in a foreign land. That's often what we look when we say serve. Oh, I'm not really called to, to Africa or, or South America. But that's not all, that, that it's all wrapped up into to just that idea. For sure, no doubt, there are times when uh, it would be easier just to go to a foreign land. Just send me somewhere, Lord, where I can serve the way that you want me to. It's easier sometimes to go there than it is to go next door. But we can serve God in whatever situation that we find ourselves in, in our homes, in the marketplace of our lives, in our schools. And how? By doing the best that we can for God right where we are right here in Tehachapi, right down Tucker, wherever we find ourselves going in our day-by-day comings and goings, by living out the abundant life that we have been given, not because of what we own or how much that we make, but because of how we have been changed. Repenting is a turning away from from, from the wrong of what we used to do and moving toward what God has called us to. It's a life of change. It's a life of sharing. It's a life of serving, making a difference with the life that he has given us. Have you considered the life that he's given you today? No matter where you come from, no matter what you've gone through, when we look at where we are today, we are so blessed. There's some of you, I say, hey, how you doing? You say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 
And you've been through a lot. Maybe you've been through a loss of something this last year. And I've heard the real, the, the absolute poignant statement, I am blessed. John was a great man, and he preached an awesome message of repentance. But Jesus was a greater man, and he delivered a great message. Someone once said, John's message was one of glad chidings, and Jesus' message was one of glad tidings. There were differences in the style, but John laid forth the essentials, the fundamentals. Someone once asked the late Vince Lombardi, what was the secret of his coaching career? And he responded, I had my team constantly concentrating on the fundamentals, the essentials. That meant a lot of running, a lot of blocking, a lot of, a lot of the basics. Our question today might be this. What are the fundamentals of our faith? What are the essentials of Christmas for us who are called Christ followers? The answer is often found in our own wilderness, in our Christmas essentials, if you will. They are repent, share, and serve. Stand with me, will you? Sing this song with me. It wonderfully shares where we as followers of Christ live our lives this day. I'm going to live the way he wants me to live. I'm going to give until there's just no more to give. I'm going to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, never out love the Lord. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful, Lord, that you have set us on a journey. It's one of change. It's one of a, a new thing that's happening in the wilderness that we find ourselves living in, in this world, not of this world. And Lord, you've called us to a few things. We, we need to repent. We need to turn from things that are not uh, conducive to our walk with you, Lord. We need to share with others. It's the type of people that you've called us to be, not just as Nazarenes, but just as Christians, Lord. We want to share with others. Lord, would you help us to, to, to open up the floodgates of generosity as we share with those that are around us. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a loved one of ours or someone from school or someone that's really struggling this time of the year. Help us to, to see them with your eyes this year and, and to help to, to share share with them. And then, Lord, help us to serve. Help us to do the things that we do ethically, Lord. Uh, may we do it uh, as you have called us to do it, Lord. Uh, not taking advantage of, not cutting corners, but, Lord, doing it to the very best of our ability because of what you've done in our lives, Lord. We're grateful and we're thankful for the day that we live, Lord, and, and we don't probably talk about it enough, Lord, the things that we need to turn away from. It's become kind of a, something we don't want to talk about. But, Lord, may this day, may we turn away from the things that don't work with you. And might we share and serve others, Lord, as we go from this place. Thank you for these, your people, who many of them already do. May we continue to do it, maybe even more, as you lead us, Lord, as you lead us, not as anybody else calls us to, but as you lead. Thank you, Lord, for this day. May we find our Christmas essentials, Lord, as we make our day, way into these next two weeks leading up to Christmas Day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful, beautiful day and a wonderful week together. Amen.